iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Will Kelleher and you're listening to our special series examining just what it takes to win the Rugby World Cup in the company of those who have been there and done it. We'll take you from 1987 to 2019 through the eyes of great world champions ahead of the 10th World Cup in France this autumn. We'll hear their memories and stories, anecdotes and insights, all with the goal of answering one simple but devilish question. How do you win the World Cup? So join us on a rugby journey to whet your appetite for France with Legends of the Game. This time on How to Win the World Cup, we finish our series with the current world champion South Africa and their victory four years ago. 2019 sees the UK entangle itself over Brexit, Ed Sheeran and Ariana Grande wrestle in the music charts, and England win the Cricket World Cup by the barest of margins. South Africa have spent time between World Cups soul-searching. Some of their worst years of results lead to the sacking of head coach Alistair Kutsia, and so in comes Razzie Erasmus and everything changes. Back come the steamrolling South Africans who focus on their forward power and go from wounded Springboks to world champions in the space of 26 tests. Their third world title comes after an epic savaging of England up front as Makazoli Mapimpi and Cheslin Colby dazzle out wide and Sia Khaleesi becomes the first black captain to lift a World Cup. Part of the fabled bomb squad was Francois Lowe, one of the few who are no longer in the South African team for this World Cup. So, from the Times and the Sunday Times, this is a Ruck special, how to win the World Cup with Francois Lowe. Okay, Francois, awesome to have you rounding off our special Ruck series. And we always start with the easiest question of all on this pod series. For the final time, Francois Lowe, how do you win the World Cup? Very good question. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Uh, uh, nice to be here. Yeah, that is a very good question. How do you win the World Cup? Worked very hard for a very long time. Third time lucky in my case. 2011, not so good in the quarters. Uh, 2015, out in the semis. And then finally, 2019, managed to get a final crack at it. Um, and uh, a lot of things had to align itself. 
players, fitness, injury, and a wonderful venue in Japan itself. Um, and all those things coming together, a little bit of brilliance from a few individuals, and I suppose there you have it. Well, we'll try and find a definitive answer by the end of the show, but why don't we lay some context? And you mentioned... 2015 there and I suppose that's possibly where this journey starts for a lot of you obviously you made the semi-finals of that World Cup but that Japan defeat that had to, that had to be laid to rest in the whole next cycle I suppose did it yeah absolutely so um you know obviously you know going back to 2015 super disappointed with that fixture huge lessons learned rugby sort of works in four-year cycles World Cup to World Cup and you know often there's a um an exodus of players, senior players, uh, potentially a, a rejig of coaches, a new head coach in the um, in the mix. 2016 and 2017 were uh, was probably the two darkest years in South African rugby in the professional era. You know, the, the expectation from our side that we put on ourselves, that our supporters uh, put on us, is is sometimes not a question of winning, but uh, winning by how much. You know, to have the the string of results that we had in those two years, I think sort of mid-table in world rankings, which is, you know, really low for us, you know, generally knocking at the, you know, the top four. It was quite disappointing. You know, we had 24 months to, um, you know, to get back onto the horse. And as you mentioned, you know, there was a, a change of guard. Rassi coming in there with Jacques Nienaber. wouldn't say a complete overhaul, but a reset. Finding out what has made us tick in, in the past and, you know, what are our strengths, you know, with the personnel that we have, what's what's our brand of rugby, you know, our identity, and ultimately finding alignment with that, you know, getting a complete buy-in across the board with players, management, and then gaining the respect and support back from, uh, you know, from our people, from our from our nation. So, so when Razi did come in and sort of turning from 2017 into 2018, did he initially focus on that tactical side of the game and going back to the strengths of what Bok teams have been good at over the years or was it a wider thing than that was it to do with relationships between top and bottom in South African rugby or you as individual players how did he kind of approach that first few months yeah, I, th- I think it was exactly that, you know, uh, recognizing what's what's made us tick in the past. Um, you know, it's a very inherent style of play with South Africans. It's no secret we're going to charge around the corner many times, and let our biggest boys go first, and the rest will follow. Try to stop that, and if we get into uh, into the right zone, we're going to send it wide and let the backs do their magic uh, if they can. Otherwise, you know, we'll be in the in the air, and there'll be an aerial battle all around. But you know, rugby can sometimes be quite overcomplicated it's it's uh everyone likes the idea of champagne rugby we love we love seeing that it's amazing to be involved in i can't really claim i'd be involved in too many champagne moments i'm generally <laughs> down in dark places some of the bath um, teams you threw it about a bit 2015 <laughs> george ford and those guys <laughs> oh yeah a little bit here and there um <laughs> but you know essentially st- stripping it back down to its basics and then getting a complete buy-in uh, as, as i mentioned earlier alignment was our was sort of his buzzword, um, becoming aligned with, you know, what we're trying to achieve. There's no room for egos. It doesn't matter how many tests you've played, how few you've played, how long you've been in the mix from a management perspective. You know, we are a team and we're only as good as an outfit where everyone pulls together collectively. Very much a mindset shift. And then, you know, working on strategy, trying to create almost two teams that could replicate one another. Um, Mm. Essentially, you know, that's where our second string we'll call it second string call it uh, the bench call it the bomb squad as you know often referred to was this complete um, string of players that could come on could just as easily have started you know from our side we had a nice historic victory against uh, against New Zealand in Wellington which was quite you know the catalyst you know to us I suppose regaining belief and 
you know, actually realizing, you know, we've got this, you know, if we, we can do this, if we do, if we do click, if we do turn it on. So I want to ask a bit more about the tactical bits and pieces, but on the off field side of it, there was a lot of alignment, I suppose is the same word with learning about each other's stories. And we've seen the chasing the sun documentary where a lot of it is about that. And for example, Makazoli Mapimpi and learning about his family situation. So was that, was that a key part of it as well as almost whether you'd lost them or not, sort of bonding together as a group of men too, from different parts of the country and different backgrounds? Absolutely. I think, especially in South Africa, we've obviously got a very diverse nation. Guys from different walks of life, um, different ethoses, outlooks, uh, backgrounds. It's quite exciting, really. You know, trying to find a way to park everything and come together as a collective, you know, as a sort of a brotherhood, as a team, gel and, and, and trust one another. I mean... I have to be quite honest, you know, watching that chasing the sun, you you know, you kind of look at the guy's stories, you're like, I don't know that. Mm. That is, wow. You know, Who, this guy literally... Which was the one that, that's, that shocked you the most of those guys? Yeah, I think I think you, you mentioned him, Mampimpi Makazoli, Kanyo Am. At the end of the day, everyone's got a story. Some guys, their story's probably a bit harder than others in terms of um, adversity they may have faced. But it's all about perspective, you know. You can get you can get someone out of a pretty decent upbringing, you can still have a pretty tough story. Uh, but a lot of these lads, you know, came from pretty much nothing. You know, I know I know Sia's story. I played with Sia, you know, since he was a he was a young kid, and he got a great opportunity to attend an amazing school in South Africa, um, and got accelerated into you know, into elite sport. Really, got that opportunity and utilized it completely. But some of the other blokes, you know, you you just didn't know, and you you kind of you think like, wow, this guy was. I was training with them every day. You think you know someone. And I think a lot of guys were kind of just painting up all that um, all that emotion that they had, you know, with their upbringing, their story, and trying to reframe that in, in, in some form of motivation for themselves. Uh, but after the World Cup, you know, you know, let the let the wall down, let the curtain drop, and you know, you know, we, we've done this, and this is this is actually my story, which was. Um, yeah, I got I got goosebumps watching those guys speak, and I was like, "Wow, you know, I just I just didn't know that." And so inspiring. So, from viewers and listeners up this end of the world in England, I think we saw the box coming together for that series in 2018. And the most significant decision, I suppose, around that was making Sia Khaleesi captain. You mentioned him before. Um, you played a lot of rugby with him, but can you put it into context from a South African side of just how significant that was a decision for Razi to make? Obviously, he was the right man for the job, but it came with much more than that for Sia. Yeah, I, I, I suppose it did. Uh, you know, from our side, it was irrelevant whether he was black or white. You know? Yeah, it didn't really make a difference to us. Um, he was a young flanker. Well, not young. He was twenty. I think twenty-five or six at the time. Mm. Uh, might be wrong there, uh, but a young player coming through with you know a lot more senior guys in the team. Um, but he was the the individual that Rassi chose, that he Rassi asked to lead the side. And you know, thinking back on that, just from terms of of a captaincy and leadership perspective, you know, Sia is a he's a very humble guy, and most importantly, as a leader, he's very self aware, and he immediately understood the magnitude of of the role of leading the Springbok team. You know, I'm just putting the South Africa aside for now uh, in terms of leading the Springbok side to um, successful rugby, championship rugby, and ultimately, you know, giving ourselves the best chance to win the World Cup. And what he very quickly did is he surrounded himself with um, the most influential and senior guys on the team uh, in such a way that he said, look, 
I can't do this without your help. I need you to take care of certain departments. And he approached the top guys in the team who I wouldn't say they would they would have been bitter, but there's a few guys who could easily have been captain. I mean, mm. it's a you know, you're a group of alpha males uh, who are experienced and you know, put their hand up and they'll they'll take that role without a blink of an eye, you know, but it ultimately has to go to one man. And what he did is he pulled that senior group of leaders together and uh, empowered them rather than create, uh, potentially create a conflict between, you know, you know, big heads, uh, big egos. He got those guys on his side. You know, I remember having a good conversation with him in and around that. And he almost like disarmed any any sort of like push and pull from, from mm-hmm. others quite quickly uh, to create... You know, quite a strong leadership outfit. Um, you know, as, as his first, as his first sort of input as a as, as a captain, so, um, and, he, and he did it in style. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was I'm, while you were saying all that, I'm just thinking it's a fascinating thing, particularly for South Africans at World Cups, I suppose. And South Africa have won three as many as anyone else, because you have that ability to tap into things that are unique to South Africa about the political situation, about stuff that's not about the rugby. So for a South African at a World Cup, what, how do you balance that by... Because I imagine if you get too overly emotional with that or connect too much to things that might drive you over the edge in a game and don't think enough about the tactical side or just beating an opposition that have no relevance to all of that history and all that politics, it's it's the balance, isn't it? So where did you try and take that? Because I suppose you could get too into one side or the other, couldn't you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it, it's something that we, we spoke about regularly and tapped into. Going into these big games, you know, there's a, there's a huge mental side side to it, you know, in any sport, maybe in any situation. And, um, you know, ultimately you talk about pressure and, you know, those are the things that can derail you, you know, you can prepare as well as you want. You can be ready, physically ready, strategically ready, you've done your homework. And then in the moment, the biggest moments, the pressure is just squeezing you and, you know, you, you can have potentially have a wobble, which can derail the game, a campaign, uh, a moment. You know, we started digging down into, you know, what is pressure? And, um, you know, you might have heard heard the, the, the saying before that, you know, you know pressure, pressure is a privilege. Playing in a World Cup final is not, is not pressure. You know, waking up at 3.30 in the morning, trying to find a job to feed your family of six, you've got no cash in the bank, you've got a sick grandmother in a house, uh, you've got people that, uh, you know, you're afraid for your life. That's pressure. That's real pressure. What we've got is is absolute privilege, you know, to be able to have that nervousness, your heart beating, um, you know, to perform, to perform well, you know, to impress your your people, your supporters and, and ultimately deliver. And that's that perspective that we try to create and looking back at all the big moments in South Africa, you know, looking back at past World Cups, you know, John Smith leading the team in 2007, Francois Pino in 95, um, all those moments, you know, and, and compartmentalizing that uh, and, and taking the positives out of that and, you're almost trying to, um, I suppose, predict what's going to happen next and, and how that situation may feel. You know, you almost kind of like mentally uh, uh, try and live it, uh, but utilizing us, you know, I suppose, as much as you can from you know from our history and, and the scenarios and the people uh, and trying to kind of frame that. But then also, still got to play rugby, so still got to try and focus on all the different plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the opposition and doing that. Absolutely. We'll get onto some rugby in a second, but I'd love to ask you about being in Japan and the whole Japanese experience because I was there as a journalist and we, we all just loved it it was a, a brilliant something completely different somewhere that lots of us had never been before but it was quite alien it was different it was weird in places it was mad that 
It was crazy. I remember the week of the fine, I think you guys were staying at Disneyland, which must have yeah. been a bit strange, like Mickey Mouse and Goofy knocking about while you're trying to think about beating England. But what was it like for players? I mean, you're, you're focusing on games, but was it good fun as well? What an experience. Uh, wow. I mean, to go to a place like Japan, so foreign, so crazy. You know, we we went to some places, you know, we got there early. We had about, you know, uh, three or four uh, liaisons with us, you know, to translators and some of the places. I, mean, I don't think they'd, they'd seen Westerners before. You know, we're yeah. going to these schools to go see the kids and they see guys like the Beast and they think this, these are, and Archeus Neymar, I think these are real life giants. Like the kids are literally <laughs> running up to them, like touching them, like feeling them, like, pulling their beards it's like which was it was just so crazy to see the food was so foreign the people uh so different but so hospitable i mean we were so welcome there and I, I, maybe it's got something to do with uh, the japanese beating us in 2015 i don't <laughs> yeah. know um you know, nice little side story um quite a humorous bunch actually so when you when you when you get to a hotel as a squad you know you arrive with frantic loads of luggage bags and you know, there's, a, there's a table nicely set up with envelopes on and your name on and your room keys in there and there's a room list and there's the physio room the eating you know whatever here's the wi-fi code yes everyone wants wi-fi and uh so they got the wi-fi codes they've got they've got three wi-fi uh, uh, connections to make one on each floor and here are the wi-fi codes and the bright wi-fi codes are brighton one brighton two and brighton three <laughs> so well, well done <laughs> I've got to, got, to, got to love the Japanese humor. Um, you know, all the all, all the all the all the elevators had had newly installed TVs in them. Uh, you know, so you can watch a bit of you know a bit of TV while you have your you know twenty second ride up. And they just basically had the Brighton game on replay. <laughs> all the all the tries. No, none of our tries, by the way, just Japanese yeah, tries. Goromaru, so, uh, Hesketh, yeah. <laughs> which was good. I mean, so I mean, you know, what a wonderful place. You know, you know, going all over the island. Um, all over Japan, um, you know, a lot of sights, uh, a lot of tourist things, you know, seeing how the guys make samurai swords, like, you know, the, you know, their culture, their food, um, having our liaisons with us just to, to, to try and figure out, I mean, you've got, you got the menu out and it's like full on Japanese. You like just whatever you think, what, whatever you think we should have. And like, yeah, yeah, and they're buying it to you. Don't get so much intestines. And then, <laughs> you get all, all kinds of strange things. But uh, I mean, what, what an experience. Like, I, I couldn't have asked for anything more as, you know, as, as, as a human. I'd love to know about the psychology then of playing them in the course final. Like you'd, you'd put to bed 2015 maybe in the, um, in the warm-up game beforehand, going over there and making a point of beating them. At this point, Japan have shocked Scotland. They've shocked Ireland. So actually you coming second in your pool maybe has opened up the draw a bit differently to how you expected but everyone's loving Japan they would love to see a repeat everyone who's neutral anyway you're in their home country and you've got to go and ruin the party basically beat them like, I remember when you did there's a journalist who now works for the Times Martin Samuel who was at another paper before and I think his introduction to the thing was South Africa have just killed Bambi <laughs> was there a sense of <laughs> we're going to have to ruin the party here by beating them well, I, I tell you what, as I, as I said, I, I think there was there was a, a, a sort of a nice link with it after 2015. You know, the Japanese very much favoured us. Uh, I think we were almost, or it felt like it at least at times, we were, we were their second team okay. um, until that quarterfinal week. Japanese are the most precise people on this earth. Mm. I mean, the bullet train leaves at like 23 seconds past, half past, 12 it's on the second like nothing is ever late it's perfection i mean you know, i think doesn't even wobble come the quarterfinal suddenly 
Mm, those floodlights aren't working uh, <laughs> at the evening training sessions. The bus is half an hour late to take us to training. It's almost like they were like, okay, oh, sorry, sir. You guys, sorry. Aren't, you, you guys aren't our team anymore. Um, That's rightly so. Um, but yeah, go, going into that game, I mean, it was uh, it was still a big game. Obviously, you know, we, we played them that warm up game. You know, we had one over them, but it's it's knockout rugby, and you know, the team of of uh, awesome individuals, you know, amazing players. We had a precarious moment in that in that quarter final, and if you recall, but the beast uh, accidentally did a spear tackle mm, on the player. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, we we spoke about you know all the way leading up to the World Cup, like it's discipline. Uh, World Cups are won on penalties. When it comes to playoff rugby, you make a mistake, all the kickers are on form. They're going to be blasting balls over from anywhere on the pitch. You can't give away penalties. Yellow card, let alone you know, red card, It's that's game over. And I mean, you could see the remorse in the man's face, like that image of him sitting on the ground, like, you know, hands in the air, just apologizing, got the yellow card. We sitting there like, oh no, this this is not happening. Like this could, this could be it. But you know, on top of that, uh, yeah, we we pushed through. We we played our same game. We were quite we were quite strict with uh, playing exactly the same game, regardless of opposition, whether it was Canada or Namibia, Italy, New Zealand, or you know now Japan in the in the quarterfinals. So uh, tough game nonetheless. But uh, yeah, we were ready for it, and um, you know it was the focus was there and then. And whoever yeah. we play in the semis, uh, that'll be the next opposition that we need to knock over. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I don't want to gloss over your glorious turnover in the semi-final that, that was the last penalty against Wales, but I'd love to do as much as we can on the final and winning it and everything else. So I don't want to keep you forever. But So let's get to the final then. So England have beaten New Zealand and certainly from the English perspective, everyone su- suddenly starts going, oh, wow, here we go. Didn't expect it to get to the final, but they've just beaten the All Blacks who've won back-to-back World Cups. But from your perspective, obviously your game was the Sunday after they'd played, wasn't it? So you didn't know that you were going to go through. But once you had won, you're a guy who's played in England. You know some of the English guys in the team. Did you quietly sit there and think, they've played their final already. We've got them here. No, not at all. It was all very much about what's next, next job. Our next job was on Wales. Didn't really matter who was in the final. We'd, we'd have to try and beat them to, you know, to get ultimate glory. You know, there wasn't even time to think about that. Like the semis is as big as a final. You know, it is a, is a final match. You're out. If you lose that, you're out. 
Wales, the Wales were a solid outfit in, in 2019. They can historically can definitely match the Springboks, you know, blow for blow, take them down to the gutters, and they'll run around there with you. You know, they're 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 a tough team, and you know, historically, it's a team that we've lost lost against quite a few times. But the focus was all about Wales. The focus on England literally came after that final whistle blew against Wales. I mean, I know, I know the analysts were really cutting England's game um, as soon as they'd finished, you know, preparing for them. But uh, it, it, it wasn't a, so much a point of us thinking they've played their, they've played their final because maybe they hadn't. Maybe more was to come, you know. It would be very complacent and, and, and I think uh, silly to think of it like that. You know, it's, that was quite an awesome team. 2019 they want to turn it up they can and there's no reason why they couldn't have turned it up back to back um obviously didn't at the time uh, but it was never a case of thinking oh well they played a little bit too well yeah, um, yeah, yeah in fact it was probably the other it's probably i mean we could have you know it was more a case of thinking well how much confidence momentum are they going to take mm-hmm. by knocking the all blacks off their pedestal in a semi-final going into the final i mean i think that was maybe a little bit more realistic uh, where we had like well actually these guys are going to be really angry now. They know they can do it. New Zealand beat us, and they beat them pretty comfortably. Uh, they've got the they've got the people um, to do the job. They've got the players, the tactics. Why couldn't they do it again? You know, that was so. It's like you know, our, our prep starts right now. And it was like final mode. Bang! We got to get this on. We got to understand every single one of their players, how they play, their tact, their strat. You know, what are they doing? And focus on what we can do and how we can you know take them out. Yeah. So talk to me about final mode and getting into that mindset. Is is it a lot of tactics? You've got, what, six-day turnaround to a World Cup final and is it a studying Curry and Underhill for you and things like that? Or is there a lot of it that's actually like, look, we know what we're doing, we know the game plan and it's then emotional buttons being pushed and things like that. How does it actually work through the week for a player in a World Cup final? You're not going to become better. You're not going to like change much. You know, we we creatures of habit. There's a lot of routine. You still you still go do weights in the week. I mean, you're not going to get stronger. You're not going to get fitter. But you still have a little blowout, a nice sweat out. Uh, you know, on the odd day. You know, you've been doing that literally for four or five months. Like it's the same process. And like day you stop, you're actually upsetting the whole process. You know, so it was, it was very routine driven. It wasn't like okay, guys. You know, we've done the work. You know, go sit in your room and think about how badly you want this. I mean, mm. that's. I wasn't going to do anything. It was still a, a, a full week, um, simulated across all previous weeks. Um, review, preview. We still reviewed our Wales game. Okay, here we sharpen up. Okay, you're a bit slow here around here. Okay, we're going to push up here. You can always refine. And then ultimately looking at you know the small little tweaks. You know, you got your you got your basic blueprint, your strategy of how we play. I mean, we had we had I think we had three or four players in the final. One, two, three, four. And when you get to four, you start again. One, two, three, four. It's really uncomplicated like that. It doesn't matter where you are. Those are the strike players, whatever happens. I mean, we just want to get in on the front foot, get into general attack, and then that's that's how we roll. Um, you know, so very simple in, in that regard. But it was very much making sure that you understand your role. I mean, I think the biggest fear, at least for myself, was being the one who didn't execute their job on the day. But then they, obviously there's the mental side and, and, and you tap into whatever you need to get to get motivation from. I mean, obviously there's the country, the people, there's your family, there's your sacrifice. I mean, I didn't see my kids for, for about, I saw them twice in five months. Wow. Um, you know, I was coming on to week nine without seeing my family. Um, you know, those are the people that really sacrifice, you know. And then ultimately, you know, looking each other in the eye and, and saying, well, you know, how badly do we want this? 
how badly do we want to win and dominate? You know, how badly do we want to be world champions? You know, what does that look like? And also at risk of not being over-motivated mm. and being blinded by, you know, the task ahead. You know, you still got to play rugby. You got to play rugby for 80 minutes. So if we spool onto the game, you came on 63rd minute and I think it was 15-12 at that point. So right in the balance. But quite quickly afterwards, bang, bang, Mapimpi, Colby, two tries. So was that the moment where you thought, we, we're going to do this or had you sensed it coming when you were watching off the bench or you thought I know it's tight but we're going to win this game we've got it no it was it was, it was never like that um, we know how quickly games can change and I spoke about it earlier you, know, you look how games are won and lost you can, you can lose by 15 points but you might have only lost three minutes in a match just those three minutes the other team had the upper hand on you you know I think in that all black game you know we had like six and a half minutes where they absolutely dominated us and that's where they you know scored their tries you know and we looked at it in that in that perspective so it was a point of playing 80 minute rugby you know play to that final whistle so cliche but so important and that's exactly what it, it boiled down to you know as a member of the squad coming off coming off the bench you either got to make one hell of a difference to win a game or you're going to make one hell of a difference to keep the lead you know it's it's never like a a, a clean run through to the end. So, um, you know, coming coming on, it's super tight. It's, it's one error. You, you you might just slip. You might drop a ball. You might do something stupid. Who who knows uh, what can happen? So it was pretty much, you know, you, you've got to play you've got to play to the end. Uh, so it was never a case of thinking, oh, we've got this, we've got the end. We, you know, there was one moment where I realized we had it. I think we packed down for a scrum. There were about three minutes left or four minutes left. And I packed down. I see Billy... His white shirt, all red. You know, he's taken a taken a few shots in that game. Uh, we look at each other, obviously play against one another a lot. And the on pitch camera pans across. So that's on the big screen. Pans across to the engraver, engraving our name on the trophy before the game's over. Wow! I kid you not. Which was like, that's weird. Like I'm very excited, but I'm not showing emotion. And you can see the England boys are looking up, and it's like you know they're still keeping their straight faces, and we like. What's you know this is it, and then you know hanging on for the last little bit. So uh, kind of celebrating inside, but just not just yet. You know we still yeah. we still want to finish strong and, and super pumped up. I mean, yeah, obviously just watch witnessing Chesden's try. You know that was pure brilliance from an individual, and uh, that ultimately sealed it. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't really a chance that they would they would come back from that. But uh, you know, but still still just in that mm. process and mindset, the machine mindset. We've got to play to the final whistle. It's not over until it's over. It was the second biggest margin of victory, I think, in a World Cup final, 20 points. So it must have been a challenge, I think, to, to stay in that mindset, knowing everyone else, I think, by with about 10, 15 minutes to go, was just like, there's just no way. England are done here, South Africa are champions. You've got the bloke engraving the trophy already. Must have been a, a weird... I suppose for other World Cup wins, there's been like a, a great last-minute moment or a Johnny drop goal or a Joel Stransky in extra time or something like that or it's tight the whole way and you just sneak over the line but was there a period for you where it kind of dribbled in over the last five minutes or so or was it still that kind of final whistle goes and it all comes out and the motion and you finally realise you've done it? Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of like when we, when we saw Mampimpi's try and Chesden's try it's almost like that gave us like an extra kick I realized I was just sprinting to the scrum, sprinting to the lineouts for the next drill, sprinting to get into position for the next restart. It was almost like this energy just pumping and pushing through. Um, but, but maybe that was, you know, a, a form of like elation, knowing that, you know, this is 
we're going to do this. We're going to get this. We're going to finally achieve the absolute highest accolade in our game that we love so much. You know, maybe as maybe slightly more emotional for me than any any other game. Not just that it's a final, but the fact that um, it is my last uh, game for South Africa. You know, that was always always knew it would be my last my. You know, so to have it in a final, to have it pan out the way that it did, uh, you know, to become a world champion, it's like, I don't, even, I don't have words for it right now. So, yeah, so after it's all over and you've won the trophy, what do you remember about the party? Do you go straight home? Is there a big night out in Japan or is it all straight back on the jumbo jet, back to Joburg? How, do you, how did it all pan out after the final? No, there was a, there was definitely an all-nighter uh, <laughs> celebrations all round. Um, Fafta Clerk and his budgies, yeah. we all saw that. That was too much, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that, that was that was pretty good. Um, <laughs> I think yeah, that was that was fairly tame to what actually went on. I but, can imagine. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll leave that to the imagination. <laughs> um, but you know, going back to the hotel, you know, we had, we had a policy that that family could come with you the whole tournament. You know, stay with you in your rooms. Uh, there were kids there, there were wives and partners there. You know, it was very much a community-driven uh, uh, environment. Uh, we had, you know, we had basically the whole floor booked out at the Hilton Hotel in Disneyland. Unbelievable <laughs> scenes. Did um, you get a visit you know, from anyone special, Mickey or? Goofy or someone, like Donald Duck. <laughs> Fortunately, they uh, there was strict security at the door. Okay, there was none good. of that. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, just uh, all nighter really. Um, you know, we obviously had the awards uh, a night or two later, the World Rugby Awards. Um, then I actually came straight back to back to England. I was the only one who didn't fly straight back to Africa. I just you know said to the guys like I need to go see my family. And play back a bit to of Prem rugby. Why not? Bristol away or something? No, no, <laughs> no, no rugby, no rugby. Um, just, just, just a boozy two day with the family, lots of hugs, and then straight back on a jet to to South Africa two days later to go join the festivities of a five day open bus tour wow. uh, all over South Africa. Five cities, five days, five flights, banquet dinners. I mean, and to experience the joy and elation and support and congratulations from from the african people which uh man that's uh that's pretty much right up there with uh with being on the field um you know holding that that golden trophy yeah so so what's the hangover like after five days in five different cities and about 500 pints <laughs> that's that's one of the biggest hangers ever yes. <laughs> yes um luckily we had the team doc with us um okay. and he took care of he took care of us quite nicely rehydration um, you know I, very, very well hydrated. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, look, the high stayed with us for so long. I mean, yeah, that was that was the smallest part of the worry. You know, you get back here and then it's celebrating with with, with friends and family back in the UK as well. But uh, wild party, I have to say. Yeah, definitely, definitely one that I, I relive uh, on my phone quite a bit with all the videos and photos, which is not not for the public. No, definitely not. No. So, so last question before we before we wrap up, Francois. And we're four years on, obviously, and the box are going back to the World Cup. You're one of the few people that aren't still in the squad because, as you say, that was your last game in a box jersey. Four years on, and maybe in the, at the time too, do you think the box got the respect they deserve for winning that tournament? Because whenever people talked about it then, and maybe still now, there's the whole sort of, oh, well, all they did was beat people up and that sort of thing, which is really reductive. But do you still think that, that no one has quite given the box credit for how low you were in 2016 17 and how high you became in 19 well you know well it's it's uh, it's very tough at the top you're always going to get people that are going to try and pull you down but that's okay i think we 
we get the respect from uh, you know from the people that it matters most. You know, at the end of the day, we've got a World Cup in the trophy cabinet with medals around our necks, and 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 no one's going to remember how anyone did it. Perhaps you would. You're a, you're a sports journalist. You'll know how the teams <laughs> exactly how they played. Uh, but you know, we'll 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 take it anyway that it comes. You know, I think uh, it's been a strange uh, four years. You know, with a with a pandemic settling in. You know, cutting our our moment quite short, which is quite sad from a South African perspective. You know, I don't think we were able to ride that wave. You know, from a hope perspective within our country as as much as we we should have uh, or could have. But nonetheless, it's a new era. So right, the last question we've got. The blueprint. How do you win the World Cup? Come on. What's what's the secret? I've written a few things down. We've got playing on the motions, learning from previous failures, finding your identity, decluttering, alignment, belief. What's your couple of words that you'd use, Francois, to sum it all up? All of the above. And <laughs> <laughs> look, I think uh, I think ultimately there's a, there's like an inherent desire in in, in a person. You know how how badly you want something. Um, and it's, it's not to say that um, you know the teams that didn't didn't win it wanted it less wanted it any less than we did. But all I can I can attest for is the experiences that we had, and there was going through those playoffs, especially going to the final. Um, there was no ways that we were going to lose that final match. Um, you know, there's there's quite an iconic moment for me at least. You know, where the two teams are standing in the tunnel just before they run out. They got the trophy in the middle of them this year. Standing there um, behind him is the beast, Bongi Manambi. You know, the rest of the team turned round. And then the other side, you've got Owen Farrell. I think Johnny May was at the front, George Ford. And uh, it's 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 quite a cool shot. There's a little video of them before they run out. And at not one stage did any South African rugby player look left to look at any of the England players. You can see the determination in their eyes. And you see other guys, you know, moving side to side. And you see Owen looking right, you see Johnny May looking right, you see George Ford looking at the opposition, checking them out, you know, just sizing them up. And uh, it was that inherent and suppose, long-standing desire that, you know, we were going to do whatever it takes to win. There's no way we're leaving this field, uh, you know, without the glory and, and not being being victors in that moment. So um, I suppose that's not that's not my few words. That's a, lot, that's a lot of words, but I think that was very much part of the recipe. Well, there you go. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Francois. And you've helped us perfectly wrap up our series of how to win the World Cup. And it's been an absolute pleasure to hear your memories of yours in 2019. So all the best for this one for the box. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it. Nice to be on the show. And there you go. Francois Lowe rounding off our special series. And for him, it was all about desire. We hope you've enjoyed this look back from 1987 to 2019 in the company of the greats. As ever, like and subscribe, share the pods, follow at Time Sport on social media, and most of all, enjoy the rugby. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? 
Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.